0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to, wait, what? A comics podcast for Savage Critics' website. In the first of two installments for Episode 12, Graham McMillan and I discussed some of the titles mentioned in Gate, specifically Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four, and Paul Cornell's Action Comics before moving on to discuss Hickman's Shield, Bendis's Secret Invasion books, Fraction's Casanova, and other titles before concluding with a terrifyingly epic discussion the Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 8 comic series from Dark Horse, as well as Seasons 5, 6, and 7 of the show, and we end on a cliffhanger of a sort. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening.
1: Obviously, I'm, I'm moving on to T, because uh, I don't know if you've seen Twitter, and this is this is completely pointless for anyone who's listening on the podcast, so you may want to edit this out, but um, Kate and I are both getting sick this weekend, so... Oh, no,
0: watching. you know, I saw a couple of days on Saturday, you said you're like, am I getting sick? What the
1: hell? Yeah. Well, of course I was getting sick, it's a Saturday. <laughs> I, I'm not joking, I always get sick in the weekends. I, I was, I've just finished reading... Um, Craig Ferguson's autobiography, and he has this thing in it about the Scottish work ethic, which is essentially, if you're working, then everything's okay. <laughs> and, like, I've subconsciously got that so that I never get sick on the work week. I only ever get sick on the weekends.
0: <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that, that is a work ethic that I find both laudable and horrifying.
1: And the crazy thing is, like, when I worked for I and I and I worked weekends, I'd get sick on the Wednesday and Thursday that I had off.
0: Right. Right. No, I'm sure. Cause you just push yourself up until the moment that you, you have to, the thing I get that, that you would never get since this would never occur to you is what happens is at the few times at my job, believe me, listeners, very, very few times when I've called in sick to work just for a mental health day, goddamned if I don't end up getting sick before the end of it, it drives me
1: crazy. <laughs> that's, that's karma.
0: Whatever. Yeah, yeah, some horrible self-fulfilling prophecy that just every time drives me insane. You're feeling on the I, mend? I'm, I'm or... feeling,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I didn't get horrendously sick. Kate, Kate has been and is still really pretty sick. Mm. Um, I sort of got like the rebound sick, do you know what I mean? When, when mm-hmm. someone in the house is sick and you sort of just get under the weather. Right. I, th- I thought it was getting pretty bad, but I mean, really, I, I've been very lucky in touchwood. Mm-hmm. You know, I say this, and then tomorrow I'll wake up and be dying. But, right, and be like, uh, uh, "What was I saying?" Oh my god! But yeah, Kate, Kate's been having the whole like coughing, sneezing, uh, you know, snot flowing everywhere. No fun part of the, of the sickness at all.
0: Uh, that is just terrible. I'm so hard. sorry to hear it.
1: But I do have a message for her, for you and your wife. Yes. <laughs> Which is she thinks your house looks lovely. Apparently, she saw it on the internet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to respond. She was it was so sweet. She like uh, we we uploaded pictures so that onto my Picasso profile so that I could like um, link to them when we started posting on Craigslist to try and find a swap or sublet. And she left a little comment. And I'm like, oh my god, how sweet! And then suddenly it's like Monday at 5 p.m. and I'm
1: going, oh my god, how sweet! See here, here's the hilarious thing. Picasso web to me is like this whole unexplored thing. So, case I was like, Oh, are they on Flickr? Okay, it's like, No, they're on Picasso web. <laughs> Honestly, my response was just like, What? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Google's image thing, right?
0: It is. It is. And it's, um you know, I don't know why I've been so resistant to Flickr. I think because it's Shackled so heavily to Yahoo, which I just kind of hate with a passion. It
1: really, it really is. Flickr mm-hmm. is insanely shackled. To Yahoo.
0: Yeah, and it, it drives me. The number of times that I like go, like somebody's like photo is like, I'm like, oh, I'll click on this, and then next thing I know, I have to like log on as my stupid account, and it never remembers my password, and ugh, it's just. It's just, it's awful. I have this vestigial Yahoo account just so that I can see the occasional naked boob on Flickr, and it's like, ugh. On the other hand, Picasso is ridiculously, like, so few people seem to post to it, and it's not nearly as easy to, like, find other people's photos. So.
1: I have a—I have a question for you, though. Mm-hmm. Why are you looking at photos of naked boobs on Flickr? Like is that a rhetorical what? question <laughs> what it's kind of like I'm assuming that like people are putting links up am I missing all these links what's it, going on it, it's, it, <laughs> it depends
0: where you look Graham he says evasively <laughs> I mean yeah I mean it's not the sort of thing that you come across on Twitter I mean more often than not I, I, it's like
1: I was good to reference um, have you been watching Mad Men? have you been keeping up with well? mm. fan um, I am uh, we're behind this season Kate and I wonderfully because we we're both sick yesterday. Spent the entire afternoon catching up on Mad Men, which is really genuinely like the best way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, um, and especially because this season, for some reason, seems funnier than the last season. It feels like, like it's actually getting back to the comedy mm-hmm. aspect without sacrificing the drama. Um, but God, I forgot her name. Peggy. Peggy is getting mixed up with the mid '60s Bohemians and the mid '60s ah. art scene, and. Um, she does this by discovering someone who works in Life Magazine who has got photographs that have been turned down by the magazine because they're nude. <laughs> I just like here. I'm. This is what I'm imagining you looking up on Flickr, like these weirdly, you know, <laughs> quasi artistically lit nudes by some struggling photographer who just wants to make it.
0: Uh, I wish. Yeah, no. I. It's you know. I mean, Flickr's got everything. It's it. I. The thing is, is yeah, like I know
1: Flickr's got everything. My question is more:
0: why boobs? Yeah.
1: Why? Why are you looking it up on Flickr?
0: Well, it's honest. <clears throat> Let's see. How can I best describe this? There are times when I'm perusing something on the internet, and I'll be like, "Oh my goodness, there's a woman with glasses and boobs." Let me look at this picture more closely. And next thing <laughs> I know, I oh,
1: there there are more of the latter than I expected. Is that yeah. what you say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, it 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 is not. It's. I wish that it could say that it is a completely isolated. But no,
1: no, no, no. No, no I, I was I was half wondering if it was going to be salacious, if it was going to be accidental. <laughs> I, I I was really just curious. <laughs> I was I was thinking it was salacious. There were probably other ways to get it, Jeff. That's all.
0: Yes, no, and, and that is certainly the case. But but sometimes while while chasing down the path of salaciousness, suddenly one gets detoured into a a frustrating like oh damn it! I really I just have to log on this. You know this is a you know I think was in fact a a somebody you know with glasses reading a comic book and topless. And the worst part is I probably tried to, you know, actually look at the picture on Flickr so I could see what the comic book was. So, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. The the, the toplessness was certainly a, a, a
1: was mitigating a factor. Yes.
0: Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things of like really just how clearly does one need to actually see that sort of photo and with me, sometimes if like you can sort of half make out a book that someone's reading, or the, you know, like what's on the shelf in the background, suddenly I'm weirdly obsessed. Oh,
1: I, I do that all the time. There was a, a show on HGTV last night. Kate and I were watching, um, and it was the of all people, the co-creator of Glee, who's having his house redone, um, and he's having his house redone, and like they're stocking the books back in the shelves. It's... And honestly, in the middle of this, I go, "That's the Marvel Encyclopedia."
0: <laughs> Was it? Was this Brad Farchuk or Falchuk? No, it or was. Um,
1: oh God, I can't remember. Ian Gannon or something. Like oh that. right, right, right. Yeah. It yeah, was yeah. actually the the um, the first show from the the person who won their design star, like the, the top chef for HCTV, where the winner gets at their own show. This was mm. their show. Wow, interesting. And it, it was surprisingly good. It was much better than I would have expected, having seen the contest. Huh
0: be Hornswoggle. Yeah, that's great that you saw the Marvel Encyclopedia.
1: Well, honestly, like, it's one of those, like, (laughs) never mind the rest of the show, is that the Marvel Encyclopedia?
0: Although it really does beg the question, like, is that person, particularly because they're in Los Angeles, like, is that person, like, a real fanboy, or is it one of those, like, they were going into pitch for the opportunity to write, like, the wow. Fantastic Four movie, and they had a, the Marvel, got the Marvel Encyclopedia to bring I, it's, up to speed. I have something. no idea.
1: All I know is he's a massive mutant nerd, which makes sense, because he does glee, but, um... Of course. But yeah, because of that, Marvel Encyclopedia, I could see him being, like, the, the LA version of Douglas Wolfe or something.
0: There there apparently are uh, an abundant number of, of in Los Angeles and in the Hollywood powerhouses, so...
1: Ah, <sighs> and we're not. So, so hey, I've got yes. a, a comic-related question to ask you. Yes. Oh, actually, it's a two-part question. Great. One, did you see the Kurt Busiek letter that was supposed to be private that ended up getting leaked on the internet over the weekend?
0: Sort of. I saw the parts of it that uh, that um, Rich leaked on uh, on Bleeding Cool and have no idea if that's
1: the... the yeah, I, th- I, th- I, I think know. that's it. That's all I've seen now. Yes, um, I have seen that. What did you think about his comments uh, in regards to Jonathan Hickman's fantastic four? You know,
0: I it's funny you should mention that cuz I kind of had that moment of like, yeah. Um let me let me look it up really quickly cuz there was some other stuff that I mean, I thought uh I thought that he actually said things pretty well and did them um
1: I mean, of course he does say things really well, it's Kurt Busiek. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those... Exactly. He's hardly going to go and just say ridiculous things that are not true. Because mm-hmm. it's Kurt Busiek. Kurt Busiek is a remarkably well-spoken, intelligent man who does not fly off the handle. Right. You know, he, he's just... He's, Kurt Busiek is basically better than you. Exactly. I don't, I don't mean you. Personally. No, 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 no. no. I mean, exactly. You the, in general.
0: The rhetorical you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, No, 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 agreed. Um, I thought it was actually really dead on. I'm glad that you bring it up because I remember there was something that sort of tweaked my brain. I remember writing about that first arc of the Fantastic Four, which I thought kind of... um, Hickman's got a lot of really big ideas and people seem really excited by him, and I can see ways in which uh, his work is you know, his big ideas in, in very much a sort of Morrisonian kind of way, but his, his first storyline left me cold, and although I have a whole bunch of his Fantastic Fours piling up, I haven't read them past, like, you know, maybe the third or fourth issue after the initial, you know, uh, universe of super reads story. I'm
1: so glad you're saying that. I actually hadn't read any um, Hickman Fantastic Four until did this Kurt Music letter got me to read it. Because uh-huh. I'd, heard so many, I'd heard so many people many, people say things like the idea is, it's wonderful. And the reaction to Kurt saying that uh-huh. was so, well, he's totally wrong about this. Uh-huh. Because I thought, I, I'm really curious now, I want to read it. And I think he's right on. And I think uh-huh. you're right on. I, uh-huh. I think people are getting the fact that there are ideas in there mixed up with the fact that it's good writing. yeah, And they're not the same thing. I agree. The, the pacing, because uh, mm-hmm. I only read the first arc, mm-hmm. the pacing was terrible. Yes. I mean, <laughs> really stunningly, for people to say, you know, it's it's too, each issue is too full, it's like you didn't read the same issues I read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have like five pages that are basically different reads shouting at each other, while Galactus is, or whatever is theoretically attacking. It's like, that's not well-paced at all. <laughs> I mean, it's well, really, really not. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I... I, I it really... but, but there are
1: ideas there. There, mm-hmm. there genuinely are ideas that are worth investigating. I'm just not convinced they're being investigated well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's one of those things where Hickman strikes me as he's trying for a very specific approach, which is... Um, Because right after that read issue, there's a bunch of sort of single issue stories that are supposed to, you know, all build and set up to this massive arc that he's doing. And Mm -hmm. I swear to God that they are 70% fine, but then they just end. And I mean, they end so dramatically that there's literally a page of exposition at the end talking about... Here's what happened after this. Like, you know, the city of Atlantis got exposed to blah, blah, blah. And now it is this thing. And I was like, wow, But really? at the same
1: time, does, does that not really strike you as, like, a Bendis thing? Think um, about the end of Secret Invasion. The end of Secret Invasion, like, Secret Invasion goes along. It's incredibly slow for seven issues. And then the eighth issue is a big fight with a voiceover telling you what happened.
0: Yes, Yes.
1: Or Siege as well. I mean, Siege pretty much is that all the way through. Right. Like, there is, siege doesn't really happen as much as people tell you what is happening as it's happening.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is, is a terrible way to do things. So, no, when I, I read Busek's thing, I was really relieved because I really did. This his, uh Hickman's Shield, which the art is gorgeous on it. But I've read, I think, all three issues now. I think they've had three issues out. And I'm still left cold. Because on the one hand, it's like, oh, we've got, you know, idea after idea after idea. But it is such, um, it, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that we were talking about with, that, I was, that I was bitching about. Here, here's why, actually, I think Hickman is a little bit different from Bendis in that I, um, Bendis tends to spend a lot of time, like, kind of drawing out his scenes, kind of, and then sort of runs out of space and has to kind of hustle. trying to jam a lot in into a short space and then when he runs out of like he kind of knows that he's going to run out of space it it or well that's the case of fantastic four and in the case of shield it reminds me of morrison's final crisis in that what he's doing is shorthanding so much that i'm like there's no characters here. Like, I don't, I'm don't. i three issues in. I don't know who I'm supposed to root for or why. Like, there's plenty of cool stuff happening. Honestly, S.H.I.E.L.D. reminds me of a real prettily drawn, completely, like, Marvel Universe take on the Invisibles. But some of the issues of the Invisibles where Morrison isn't filling anything in and is leaving you you know, confused about what's going on, <laughs> except I feel that Hickman is not intending to do that or, or he thinks that he's giving us a different effect than he is. Okay. So, so
1: I'm going to take that and then make a leap. Please do. Cause what you're saying reminds me of um, Fraction's Casanova. Mm, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Is what we're seeing with Hickman and Fraction Morrison's influence for the stylistic and for the weird divorced from the craft that Morrison had before he started getting that weird. Hmm. That is... <laughs> discuss. Yes, discuss. <laughs> exactly. Right. There's your answer question. But I, I don't know. I feel that's I feel that's definitely happening. I, I got that feeling rereading Casanova on, on the re-release actually. Because mm-hmm. um, I loved Casanova the first time around. I was actually really passionately a fan of it.
0: Yes. Um, I know you were.
1: And rereading it this time around, I'm... I don't want to say I'm seeing the flaws more, but yeah. I'm definitely feeling much more disconnected from the work mm-hmm. um, because, in one sense, it's familiar. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not having that moment of, wow, there's a new idea. But also, I think the presentation isn't doing any... any um, Favours. Favours. I'm glad you came up with that word because I was <laughs> flailing around. Um, more because I think when you put the two stories together, as they did in the second issue, they put uh, issues two and three together. hmm The two Mm -hmm. tones played off really badly against each other. Interesting. Um, And it just, it seemed jarring. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually took me out of the story. Mm -hmm. I think it's more because of the third issue is so, um, it's so much about the the way it is told as opposed Mm -hmm. to the story. It's so much about the construction. Mm -hmm. Um, They're putting it next to the second issue like that. Mm -hmm. Just shows that it's it's almost like a writing exercise as opposed to a story right um but i i, I but the fantastic four that i read for pikmin and the other things i've read from Pikmin's, i am not Red shield although i've been told by many people that it really should be um makes me think that what we are genuinely seeing people who grew up reading grant morrison mm-hmm. uh, and grew up reading the invisibles and grew up reading doom patrol to an extent uh not only Morrison, maybe some Milligan as well, mm-hmm. but they—they're almost sort of stuck on trying to recreate the weirdness and the ideas, as opposed to creating a story in which those weirdness and ideas can be transmitted.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, I I think that, um, that one of the things that that Milligan, that Morrison, that all of those guys had. Uh, you know, writers in the UK, as far as I, you know, stop me if this is a huge generalization. Th- there was, is, and was a market through 2000 AD of, and I suppose a few other places depending of when they came up, where they could break in, but they had to break in telling very short. Stories doing eight pages oh, yeah. I mean, or four yeah, pages, yeah, the, the, the or...
1: five the five page future shocks, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that that was definitely a training ground for definitely the first wave of Vertigo writers, right?
0: And I think that wave of Vertigo writers are all very very strong at being able to jam in a, a, a lot of characterization in with the weird stuff along with a story hook. Um, in a relatively short period of time, and then when they get a full comic, it's easier for them to, to bring in the crazy, but you still have the hooks underneath, you know? <laughs> um, I feel that a lot of American writers, even now as they're finally sort of starting to, to pick up, like, better influences, um, you know, they don't necessarily have the chops underneath. I mean, Hickman's stuff, every time I read it, is like, yeah, I think it's... This shows potential, but it's not... It it doesn't look like... I don't feel like it's someone who has had enough time to to tell the stories that they need to tell to be able to tell a a quote-unquote complete story. And I'm shocked at the number of times that I feel even this late in his career, Bendis himself will totally misgauge how much space or time he needs to tell a story um, or he won't compress enough. And then the next thing he's there, he's like, he basically has run out of room and gone, oh, well, you know. Um, there, there's no, there's not a lot of room in American comics for do-overs. You know, you're publishing something monthly. If you're doing like an, a, a seven-part story, you know, you're writing that first part before you've written the seventh part. And by the time you get to part seven, first six have come out and you're like, oh, I kind of... Boomed me on that one you know and so I feel like when I read Hickman's stuff at least especially the Fantastic Four I'm like this is a guy who's got a lot of ambition but hasn't quite nailed down the 22 page story structure or 20 pages or whatever they're at now um but the thing that worries me is everyone's turning around and going, this is awesome. And I'm like, Ugh. I'm a little worried that, like Bendis, Bendis has had so much success that it's a, a little hard for him to turn around, you know, the boat, I guess, in midstream. I, I, I think that Fraction, I'm really glad that he spent as much time on Punisher War Journal as he did because I, I don't think that a lot of those stories were very strong or as strong um, and I think it gave him, like, a lot of pages to kind of sharpen his chops um, before moving on to stuff like Iron Man. But, you know, Casanova's Casanova's a huge jump of ambition, but and there's a lot of talent there. But, you know, uh, the number of pages of actual published comics that Fraction had under his belt before he got those out there, is surprisingly small. So it's amazing oh, yeah. that it comes he, off done. as well as he does, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, the, yeah, that's that's me blabbity McBlabbing. I was kind of, I, I was surprised. Actually, the thing that cracked me up about Busick was that he said something like, I've heard great things about Paul Cornell, but, you know, he's writing action comics without Superman in it, which doesn't interest me. And I was kind of like, huh, that's so surprisingly old school of him. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, you see, I agree that it's kind of surprising, but also not. I can totally see Kerbuzic being someone who's been like, eh, what's the point? (laughs) I mean, he's got got lots of other things to read. Well, of course.
0: Absolutely. We all do. Don't get me wrong.
1: No, but I also mean that in the sense of, um, I think his affection for the characters is such that um, he's got no interest in reading the stories about the characters that he doesn't want to read. Like, I think I could see him definitely thinking, I've read all the Lex Luther stories I want to read.
0: Yeah, but... Well, yeah, I suppose you're right. But whereas, like, I the only reason why I'm surprised is for me, I'm part of, like... Part of me is very much like, oh, my God, action comics without Superman? Like... The, the part of my brain that's like, I have no idea how that's going to fly commercially is entirely it's been separate.
1: Oh my gone for the last year.
0: Yeah, you know. he
1: oh, Superman for a year and a half now. Uh,
0: that's right. I guess because of all that new Krypton stuff yeah. or whatever.
1: Yeah. He's, he's been gone from that book for the longest time. Which is and actually, strange. I read the other day. Superman is the only Superman book right now. Right. Which is incredible. hmm. Mm
2: hmm.
1: Mm hmm. And it genuinely is. He's not in Justice League. Superman is the only Superman book right
0: now. Well, you know, I I, I almost think that they were tr- of course trying to do that with with Batman too by taking him out of detective comics and then it kind of you know, is <laughs>
1: and now he's everywhere. Exactly. It,
0: and now it's backfired and rebounded dramatically, but but yeah, no, I I I I guess for me is like I wasn't I admit, I part of me was like, "Eh, the new Krypton characters, eh. you know, but I'm sort of like Paul Cornell, like the idea of reading action with Lex Luthor in it. Like, I'm like, that sounds great. you know. I guess pretend, that means you haven't picked it up yet. You know, uh, Hibbs was oh. out of the first two mm. issues. I think I picked up the third and haven't read it yet.
1: Mm. Oh, so, Jeff. I know. It, it is very good. I mean, that, that's like the one thing I disagree with music
0: on. Yeah. And I, I'm actually quite excited to start start jumping in on. Oh, interestingly enough, though, you know, one thing that did not, that both he spoke well of and you spoke well of, that I, I was not on the bus with, and this was very surprising for me, because um, I, you know, I I, I think your, your taste in uh, comics is impeccable. <laughs> but? <laughs> but, I picked up DC Legacies, the first two issues of that, mm-hmm. and... I was kind of bored out of my mind. I mean, I I, I thought Len Wein did like I, I, it's 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 certainly very workmanlike, and there's part of me that enjoys the like here's a story about heroes that isn't focused on the heroes. But oh my god, talk about that. I mean, just reheated soup, like weak reheated
1: I, soup. I I really like it, but I I also think um just wouldn't hearing you talk about it now and having reread the, the four issues so far the other day it might be one of those things where it's literally my love for the characters overwhelming everything else if, yeah, if, I... it, it could be X-Men Forever all over again Yeah, where yeah. I'm loving it but I'm loving it because I love characters and just seeing something that attempts to you know do the, this is the historical epic for these characters, I'm like yeah, of course <laughs> sure go, go. <laughs> um, I mean it helps that it's got lovely art
0: yeah, the art is gorgeous, and honestly, that's to me the the strongest part of the of the book title. And I'm just not much an all. Uh, I, I tend to be swayed more by the writing than art generally. But <laughs> the the Kubert art, particularly because it's Joe Kubert inking one of his sons, right? Yeah,
1: I, don't, I think I always get them mixed up.
0: And and, and whoever's doing the coloring, the backgrounds are these really beautifully textured. Like, I really feel like I'm looking at a metropolis from the thirties or the forties. Cause I, I think actually at the, the, I've only read the first two issues, which ends with the GSA disbanding.
1: Yeah. But... And then, then there's a, a fairly significant jump in the third issue, which is kind of funny. Well, also, yeah, the continuity is insane. If this is supposed to be that the working in the current DC universe, The third Mm -hmm. issue completely blows that out of the water.
0: Oh, really? The the Justice League,
1: like, quite clearly forms in 1960 in this book. Like, really clearly, because the character, the same main character from the first two issues, it's like in his, eh, let's say late 20s, early 30s, when the Justice League forms. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's...
0: Yeah. No, I... Right, which is going to be really interesting seeing where that wraps up. I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I... I have a lot of affection for the characters, but those first two issues and I, I don't mean to you know to, to to pick on you but No no, no that's
1: fine, Jeff <laughs> But
0: I, I didn't feel like there was much there there. Like like particularly because the first couple of action scenes are literally identical. Like they're in the process of pulling crimes, somebody shows up and starts punching them. And then in the second one, the yeah, is, is pulling but is more that crimes not... and then somebody shows up and starts punching them.
1: Yeah, but does that not work because that's what the stories were like back then? I mean I, t- I totally took that as a metatextual thing because that's the, that speaks to the simplicity of superhero stories back then.
0: Well, you know, and it's funny you mention that because I kind of had the take of, A, depending on, like, how your lineup is, that's kind of the case, but, uh, you know, I started thinking about it. Like, my biggest sort of um, feeling while reading Legacies was kind of like a big sense of regret that they didn't have E. Nelson Bridwell around anymore, you know? Um,
1: Well, I I don't know. No, I think I can see that. I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks that the entire project is very much a nostalgia project, not only because it's here's the history of DC Universe, but also right. with Len Wein writing it. Sure, Do you know, sure. what I mean, there, there's certainly an aspect of reliving old past glories.
0: Right. And, and, and I think on the one hand, Ween does a great job. And B, Wein, uh has like all this stuff that I pick apart. I'm sure if I went back and looked at a lot of things that I love about his stuff, his stuff has always kind of had that like hey, it's superheroes meets, you know, the old late show that I was watching at midnight last night, you know, where they're that swamp thing or some of the stuff in Hulk, I mean I usually actually really like it when it's Characters who are engaged in their own story end up crossing paths with superheroes or the Incredible Hole sure. or the Swamp Thing or something. Sure. So, you know, really it's, it's not far out of his wheelhouse and it, it, it moves at a good clip and, and isn't PC, you know, laggy or self indulgent. But like the, the original JSA stories and a lot of the stories that I end up, that I remember reading that E. Nelson Bridwell had, had picked and put in the 100 Page Giants that I read growing up. Were, for the most part, probably because Bridwell, as an archivist, tended to pick the ones that he thought still popped or still had some interest to them. Mm -hmm. I remember a lot of the the original JSA stories, for example, or the occasional Kid Eternity or whatever they would pick out for the Crimson Adventure as being sort of the more offbeat stories. You know, like Gardner Fox definitely put a lot of work into some of those early JSA ones so that it's like, hey, everybody's wearing a different hat, which means they all have different powers and they have to figure out how to use their powers to beat the other 11 villains. You know, it's reading that version of that as a, ba- as a super heavily truncated backup strip in the back of Legacies kind of made me feel like it's a shame that nobody feels quote unquote comfortable enough to just take an ugly kid eternity story and you know yeah and just rerun it like i'm glad everyone's getting the work but at the same time like our ways of telling stories have changed so much that it's like um like a lot of the a lot of the fire has sort of has sort of drained out of it
1: but and I see. I, I, honestly, the the nostalgic aspect, the fact that it is very old fashioned, is a lot of the draw for me.
0: I, I I I get that, and and I think you're I think you're right. I think my my problem is is that it's um it's funny. It's like the flip side of what's going on with Hickman and some of the other uh, authors that that I might find myself complaining about is like. Everyone's trying to figure out how to like in the old days, comic books were super compressed, and as a result, I think not especially realistic mm-hmm. you know and now, as our pacing has changed a lot there we're still trying to figure out ways to not like if you if you go too far in one direction, it kind of turns into all dross. Or alternately, it's all, you know, super hyper action with not enough of a character to hook on there. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, admittedly, that's also where my own biases come from, where it's like looking at that, that Black Panther, you know, Marvel Masterworks. It's so heavily imbued with text. It's not what we define as good comics now. And there were plenty of people who complained that it was not good comics then, but as a big formative experience for me like that, or the Steve Englehart books or any Stan Lee book where someone is still managing to to say complete paragraphs while kicking someone in the head, (laughs) you know, there's kind of that it's a cheat. You get enough characterization of what's going on, you know, but it happens in ways that seem ridiculously stilted and there's no way anyone happens like that. So I, I really feel that we're we're in an age where people are trying to figure out how the hell to restructure comic books to both read well and have enough there there. You know what I mean? Particularly for the single issues. It kind of reminds me of what you were saying in the last podcast, where that Green Lantern Corps was an amazing story but didn't work as individual issues, right? Yeah, yeah. And I had that same experience of, I picked up the first Unknown Soldier trade out of the library, which I would heard great things about, and it was a really impressive read. Like, it really uh, was amazing. It to all kinds of interesting places and and was a hell of a ride, but it also would have sucked, I think, pretty hard in individual issues coming out
1: month to month, you know? Yes, I had the exactly same experience reading that book. Yeah, so... But I'm really glad I, I... Like, I was actively glad while reading it that I was reading it in trade. Yeah, exactly.
0: Where I was like, wow, this is great. But, yeah, I kind of had this thing of like, wow, thank God I had not picked this up. And, it, and it's a shame because, of course, I... You know, a nun soldier is...
1: Cancelled now. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: You know, so... Um, It does make me, you know, like there is, there's got to be some sort of sweet spot for people um, to be able to tell the stories that they need in a compelling way. Because when they get collected in in something like Unknown Soldiers, it's a tremendous read. But, you know, but I can totally understand why people weren't going to pick up those issues. You know, even the people that did pick up those first couple issues were like, Jumped kind of off to to do that uh, to to be able to like I'll pick it up on trade because I'm I'm not getting enough of anything here for my my two ninety nine a pop or you mm-hmm. know as we progress towards that three ninety nine threshold and stuff.
1: So, I don't know. Can you think of a series right now that does that balance? That has that balance because I I can think of things that read yeah. better together. Got not a trade because obviously I bought single issues, but still give me enough per issue to come back right um for example ultimate spider-man does that right right
0: uh ultimate spider-man definitely at its heyday for me did that i think that um i I think that brubaker's captain america does that for me like there's Mm -hmm. you know there's a longer thread but there's usually he he usually is like i've got a fight scene in here i've got a talk scene in here and then i move into another fight scene and it's, it's... Well, yeah,
1: it's very formulaic, but the formula works. It's, exactly. I, I mean, I, I've talked to you before about 2000 AD. as an early 2000 AD, right? hmm Early mm-hmm. 2000 AD is so incredibly formulaic. Mm-hmm. But it completely works. I mean, right. you've got five-page episodes, and you can pretty much go, page one is three-quarters of which is to recap what happened in the previous episode. There'll be <laughs> one panel, the will you into the rest of the story. Right. Page two and three is development. Page four and five are setting up the next cliffhanger, but it works even in collection, right. even in collection it works because That's there's enough basic. forward motion. But exactly. there really, I mean, there's such formula. I could write a 2000 strip from like 1978 right now. I would just make up like an <laughs> explosion of stuff, <star laughs> caption. No, the, but it's such. I mean, it's such a clear formula when you read it in a collection. I mean, you're right. very aware it's very cyclical, but. But it works You you do just keep reading The momentum is such that you just keep reading Yeah, exactly uh, Also, just to sort of double back on what you're saying I reread um, the last year and a half of Dark Horse's Buffy comics this weekend
0: Oh, wow uh,
1: And the reason I did that was the one shot came out The the Riley one shot the Jane <laughs> Espinson wrote And I read it and honestly I'm reading it and I'm thinking I have no recollection about what's going on in the Buffy comic Mm-hmm like I know, Angel came back and he was the bad guy. That's, that's all I remember. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and reread it, and I also went back and reread it because I thought I remember thinking at the point where I'm going to start rereading the Buffy comic went significantly downhill. Mm. And I'm going to see if if you read them all at once, that's <laughs> right. still the case. Yeah. Um, and it's not. They read much better collected. Uh, you can actually see a through line. You can see why things seem slow at the time as well. However, right. um, but it, I think it's one of these cases where. The format completely fucked the story entirely. Um just putting it into twenty-two page episodes. Completely mm-hmm. fucked the story.
2: Mhm. Mhm.
0: Like, at, at, was there a specific point where it seemed particularly screwed, or do you think the momentum was kind of hobbled from well, the they, start? Well, they, or... they did
1: a couple of things that were really I can understand why they did it in theory, but in practice, it just it's it's as if they you know they were like, hey, this is going really well why don't we fuck it up? Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, the, the schedule went really weird for a while on Buffy, Right. Like, it all of a sudden sort of disappeared for like two months at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had five one-shots by different writers um, that changed the status quo. But if you're reading them as five one-shots that come out intermittently, right. <laughs> each issue stars a different character. You don't right. necessarily see the through line. Even though right. characters are referencing it in each issue, you don't see it. Uh, and so, from there to uh, the next, like episode, for one of Bedwyr the next six issues or five issues, are very deliberately paced. But again, schedules started getting fucked up, and the very deliberate pace is very slow. And it just honestly, than felt like the momentum died between the five one shots and then this this five part story. Right. it, it felt completely apart.
0: So, just to make sure, I'm, I'm sort of half tracking. I read the the Buffy Willow one shot that Whedon wrote. Is that one of the five one shots? No, no, that, that you're was about?
1: no. It did one shots within the run of the book itself. Oh, I
0: see. Oh, okay. Uh, like, for example, when it was like like, issues
1: uh, in twenty through twenty-five. Excuse me.
0: So, like, when Loeb, like Loeb's Buffy animated, for yes, example. Yes,
1: and then they had Jane Estensen do one, they drew Gardner do one. Especially people had written for the TV show. Ah, uh, right. Um right. And they, they threw up for the one shots, which was sort of expressly set up in the first part, and then why continued as others, uh-huh. or that um, vampires became mainstream and the slayers became uh, depicted as Nazis by pop uh. culture. And it's you know it's an interesting idea and, and whatever, but in order to really follow that through for the storyline really for it to work. It, if they didn't do it properly, it, it becomes like too much of a, a background thing to the point where when it's the next issue start the next storyline starts, and they're saying everything has changed for us, you're kind of thinking, damn,
0: right? No, that, that actually, it's interesting. That sounds, what does it sound like? It, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if like they just like either a moved up their tur- timetable a lot or b they tried to. Like, that was maybe, you know, Whedon's original ending for the end of of this season, quote-unquote, for the Buffy comic, and then lead into the next season, where... Because that's the sort of thing that you can almost do, like, in a TV show. Like, you end it at one season, and then when you come back, the status quo has changed, and you can get away with that a little bit, a lot more, you know? Um, And I can see the appeal, because when I was flipping through, I had jumped off the book, and I I came back for the... uh, the super fuckers episode, you know, um where where Angel and, and Buffy yeah, yeah. are yeah. And um and I found myself kind of thinking like, oh right, the cutesy Twilight reference and all this other stuff is is really, really super meta, you know, and it's it's super meta in a way that has a um if you're not looking at it charitably, there's a certain churlish like Way of Whedon basically poking everybody and going like, "Hey guys, this zeitgeist. This is my zeitgeist. I started this zeitgeist." Like, "Hey, you know, Twilight. Twilight couldn't have existed without me. You couldn't have what? Twilight without did, me." Did
1: you read the issue where they actually like outright said that?
0: Yeah, I think actually it was like. There, yeah, there's right.
1: there's there's a line where Buffy says that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: She says something like, "You know, the Twilight thing was me first. Right. Yeah, so there's and something. It's really like okay. <laughs> it's very strange because i mean the book twilight twilight the character or you know mm-hmm. disguised angel or whatever you want to call it right first appeared after the twilight novel had come out so he either was unaware that the novel had come out which is possible the novel wasn't massive when um mm-hmm. when the, the story started and who knows whenever he plotted it right um but also if you reread this series. I'm not sure Twilight was always Angel. (laughs) Right. There are scenes where it kind of makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Not least Mm -hmm. of all because um, in the the Meltzer issues where the the super fucking happens, um, Giles recognizes Angel's voice when he's Twilight. And earlier in the series, Buffy and Twilight had met and had talked at length. And you can't tell me she wouldn't recognize his voice. Yeah. You know, there's there's odd things like that or like the speech patterns just do not match. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, in Whedon, that's noticeable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. There's there's some weird things going on. I I don't know if he made it like it retroactively became Angel because he wanted to do some sort of meta commentary Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or if it was always meant to be there. And there was a point where he was thinking he wasn't going to do it. I don't know.
0: Well, again, I feel that there's a point where the the idea that vampires are the status quo, you know, again, in the context of, you know, the storyline is this weird meta thing of not just um, Twilight, but you also have true blood and the vampire stuff is back in. Vampire culture is back in, in, in a way that is the exact opposite of how Buffy and handled it, you know, mm-hmm. the Buffy the show. So there's part of me that's like, even in a meta way, I find it very difficult to believe that this universe that Whedon had set up could ever get to a situation where vampires are more accepted. You know, it just doesn't really seem, I mean, admittedly, I haven't read it, but it would oh, be. No, it's, a, it's,
1: it's a fairly big jump. Mm-hmm, I mean, it mm-hmm. pretty much is this vampire gets her own TV show by biting people and, and using her vampiric wiles. And everyone is okay with it. Right. And they don't, like, they literally sort of make the jump. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she gets the TV show, then all of a sudden it's on TV. And right. they, they've bypassed any, you know, holy crap, there are vampires moment of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. it It, it seems to me like a really weird, hard jump to make. You know, particularly in the way that the Buffyverse has portrayed vampires and sort of people's ability to accept the supernatural in the Buffyverse is pretty, is very different from that. And it sort of feels like they wanted to reconfigure this stuff for a variety of reasons, not least of which to maybe either talk about or to fit in with the current Zeitgeist or, or 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 landscape with regards to how people are dealing with vampires today in popular culture, and it just seemed it, it seems very odd. I would have to read it, but I'm I'm fascinated that your problems have more to do with the pacing and the structure rather than the inherent idea. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just fascinated that that you know for the most part you sort of feel like they could still make it work if they had done it. Kind of in a, in different ways. Oh,
1: I, def- different I definitely think they could have. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have less of a problem with the metatextual elements than I think you do. Mm. Um, if only because it's not over, and so I kind of want to see where they go before I decide that it's good or terrible. Sure. Yeah, no, um, which I think is great. So, you know, we'll see. Also, I trust, for my sins, I trust Whedon. Mm-hmm. And so I want to give them the benefits doubt, even though you know I think Dollhouse was an exceptional failure. Um, <laughs> I, I, I honestly think Dollhouse is—you know—I'm not sure there's anything positive to say about it. Wow, I think I think it's terrible. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's great. I think that it's—I—I I, for the for the most part have have for. I don't know why but i i as a guy who sat and watched almost all of the original buffy on tv when it was airing and then bought the box set and literally watched every episode um i I kind of i i have both a lot of respect for whedon's chops but i definitely think that he's far from infallible so it could go either way you know um and I started out I definitely did start out with the with the Dark Horse, you know, season 8 stuff as very much a fan and then just found myself kind of falling by the wayside um, not, not so much for anything badly that was being done, it was just more the idea of like the things that I missed about Buffy or that I wanted from Buffy were the things that they didn't seem particularly interested in addressing in the comic, which was totally fine you know, um well, what are those things? Well, I, you know, I, I uh, it sort of talked about it way back when in a column that probably is impossible for us to <laughs> find in our crazy archives, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, basically the, the gist of it was the, the first batch of issues uh, uh, that Whedon was doing really felt like what he was paying attention to was finally here's my chance to do Buffy without the... Um, without the budgetary restrictions of the show. So it's like, it's her and a team of slayers, and then they're in a giant castle, and they're fighting dragons, and they're fighting giants, and there's there's like a zombie army attacking them.
1: Yeah, and uh, there is sort of a a, a very clear disconnect from the reality of the show.
0: Yeah, the reality of the show was very much like, we've got enough of a budget that we've got three guys with melting face makeup and that's all we can afford is a budget. And so consequently, they had to rely on the cheapest thing possible, which was, you know, what's inexpensive? We put these four characters in a library, and we have them bicker. We have them talk. We have great dialogue. We start up romantic triangles, you know. I mean, all the characterization that they... they, All the things that are happening to the characters in the Buffy series and admitted, uh, the Dark Horse series... And admittedly, I didn't follow it that closely. I kind of felt like like that's no longer the focus. Like they're they're no longer trapped in a room long enough for those characters to have it, have a scene long enough for the story beat to make sense.
1: I think me. there's there's some payoff for that later. Uh,
0: that, uh, that's good to hear.
1: I wouldn't say there's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think something that happened to Buffy the TV show that the comic continues. Is mm-hmm. that I think Buffy the TV show started going out itself. I think yeah. once, once Buffy died, quote unquote, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or even before that, I mean, when she went to college and there's what was it, Cyborg Army people?
0: Love the Cyborg Army people. No, but
1: but you know what I mean. Like it started going kind of off the rails then. Mm, uh, mm,
0: I you know I see your point. Uh, are you
1: one of these people who thinks that season six is the best season, and then I have to fight with them?
0: No, no, no. I think I think season six was a huge mess. It's just where we think that things went off the rails. I think the season leading up to the season where you know, that ends with Buffy's death was where things went off the rails. Because they were like I I can see that.
1: Yeah, because that see, was the season one five also had my favorite reveal of all of Buffy though. Uh, the, which, the one thing that just didn't make sense And then midway through the season They say, that's okay She actually never was here She's entirely fiction, fictitious oh, oh yeah, that was lovely Which I thought was a wonderful reveal Because mm. before that They were just doing things That didn't make sense
0: Yeah, yeah
1: no, And I they, remember as a viewer thinking What the fuck? What are you doing?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly And and there, each season of Buffy Has bits and pieces Like some of the bits in season 6 Are some of my favourite bits Of the entire show it's just the season overall was generally, I thought, terrible. And season five had was the same way. Even as you've got some amazing pieces in it, there's other parts that just suck unbelievable butt. So I, yeah, I, I,
1: honestly, I honestly think season four with the, the cyborg soldiers is when it started losing cohesiveness. I I can kind of see that.
0: I can kind of see that because it really is like you put them in college. There's like. Angel's gone. There's a lot more Spike, but I thought they did such a great job of sort of bringing him in and integrating him. I mean, what I liked was that there was definitely, they go to college, it's all these balls that are thrown up in the air, and then they don't know where they're going to land, and they more or less do. I mean, the the main problem is their cybernetic demon-cyborg guy that, that ends up being the big bad is so unbelievably underwhelming and has yes, so little he, going he is for him. He
1: incredibly lame. You, you yeah. were kind of already rooting for him just to get off much earlier in the season to oh, get yeah. back to everything else that's going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but he comes. But he does actually sort of come in kind of late, which does, which is probably part of why why the season I think works uh, as well as it does, or better than it should, I guess. Um, as opposed to they bring glory in. Really too early in the next season, and then they're like, "Okay, now we have to stall and vamp for the next ten episodes until we until we can bring her in for the big showdown." And
1: and, and then I seem to remember similar things. I mean, I remember that definitely happening in season five because didn't they have the whole Ben? You know, who is Ben? What's his secret? And it was incredibly dull. Yes, and then he turned out to be glory. Um, but yes yeah. spoilers to anyone who hasn't. Seen right, five. exactly. You people are <laughs> screwed.
0: I guess I will have to put that in on the intro because otherwise, yeah, you are but, you're in big but, trouble,
1: people. But season six, I just remember season six being literally a mess. Like they had an idea of what they wanted to do, and their execution of it was just so off. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, well, but I was tuning it, and like the episodes themselves might be all right, but they never seem to be as good as they had been previously, and the season as a whole, oh yeah, just did not hold together. I remember being really, really disappointed with the Willow story and the the finale.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, You know, it's funny. I thought that season sucked all the way through six and of course, uh, seven, but I actually liked seven. (laughs) Really? Oh my goodness. Oh God.
1: It's, it's, I like seven. Uh, like DC likes these. I, I as a, a, a victory lap. I don't think it's it's like a good. Okay, thing to I think much. that
0: that's a proper context for it. Yeah, no, I, I mean getting that far and kind of they have some some nice stuff where they go, kind of. But no, six six is a huge mess. It just honestly, I would have written it off if it wasn't for they just pulled, You know, they 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 you know, they build it up to this point where they do the whole Dark Phoenix ripoff and then, God bless them, that whole, that scene between Xander and Willow, like, like it didn't redeem the whole season because I really do think that it's crap, but in terms of it being like, this worked for me, this worked for me, these characters paid off for me, and, um, but it, it never would have paid off if it hadn't been, not for stuff that happened in season six, but from stuff that they'd built on with Xander and Willow in the first five seasons preceding, you know what I mean? Mm. Like that was one of those, like, that's the only way they could have pulled that out of, out of the bag. And, and like I said, there was so much in that season, like rewatching that season. Oh, so painful. It's funny. Cause
1: I'm, um, cause now that it's all available on Netflix instant, mm. I was like, I could rewatch this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided to skip the first few seasons just because, I remember loving them and I don't have any great desire to watch them because I know I like them, if that makes sense. Right. Whereas I kind of wanted to start watching 5, 6, and 7. Right. Because I remember 4 just being something that I don't want to revisit at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, I thought 5, 6, and 7. If only because in part, I actually remember liking Glory. I, I, at least as a concept. Because I, I can't remember really her as a character. I just remember her being like this valley girl who also is a god, which right. I think is a, an interesting concept. But now that you said that about Willow and Xander at the end of season six, I kind of want to jump to that episode and watch it again because I remember watching it the first time and just thinking, oh, fuck you.
0: (laughs) We'll try rewatching it out of context then and see what works. I do remember the thing that bugged me about Glory that was, that bummed me out in a way is that it's so clearly. I felt start. It's supposed to be one thing, and then at some point they changed it, or they weakened it, or they they kind of got off track. But what I liked about it was um, the like here's like Glory is this incredibly bitchy sort of entitled character at at the beginning. But I also like the idea, like, they're very specifically saying, like, she, it is she who cannot be named, it is this being that has existed before everything else, and, and her name, you know, to go with the old classic, G. Galactus starts with a G2 concept. Yeah. It's very much this idea of, like, see that, that season is supposed to be Buffy versus God, you know what I mean? Like, glory is supposed to represent God. Not, not you know, like the actual capital G, this is the deity that created everything else and that's who Buffy is supposed to go against, you know? I firmly believe that's where they went, that they were like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And then at the end, they're kind of like, you know what, that's just, nah, let's kind of do this thing where she's like a, a, a mystical memory challenge hermaphrodite. Everybody loves that, right? You know what I mean? Like, it was like what you know the whole like <laughs> really? body swappy thing who doesn't
1: like that it's,
0: sure absolutely
1: <laughs> I, I remember i remember five just being very confused i remember starting with the dracula episode and even that seeming totally off and it seemed oh, like it yeah. took a long time to get its feet mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it only really felt like it had its feet for like half the season at best
0: at best, maybe, maybe, and i remember the end yeah, being fair as
1: well. I—I yeah, I remember it beginning and ending really, really weirdly, which is the yeah. since I want to rewatch it just to see if I'm right. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I—I I might just—it made might, I might have felt that because it didn't fit with my idea of what Buffy should have been.
0: Mm, well, we'll, we'll uh, see. Yeah, we'll see. My my take on it when rewatching it with the at the DVDs all at once was that. Yeah, it was a mess. They had one idea, and then they changed it, and they also had to go somewhere else, and they sort of um, really screwed the pooch on it. And 5 and 6 in particular, and certainly a bit of 7, really suffer from the, we know what we're going for, we just don't quite know how to do it. And... That is something I, I assume because at that point in things, you know, Whedon has Buffy on the air. He's got Angel on the air, and they're prepping Firefly. Yeah, was it
1: 5 air. when Firefly was on, or am I misremembering? Which, I'm,
0: was... I'm half thinking that was 6, but okay. me, because... 6 because... was the one
1: he wasn't showrunner for. I remember that. 6 was Martin Oxen in charge. Right, Exactly.
0: Um but, but even five, he's like got Angel going on, like hot and heavy, and I believe they're prepping Firefly. So yeah, he's he's really far away from five and six. And then when he comes back to seven, there's a lot of um it it's it's later stage Whedon, which is the Whedon that I trust a lot less. Um
1: Oh you know. if if we weren't at the hour mark, I would take that as a launch pad to Go off in my wind rant. Ooh.
0: <laughs> so well, I, we should stop. we use that as a
1: cliffhanger and then? Yes. I go off my wing... Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, g- give me a few minutes. I'll call you back, and then we will launch right into that wing rant. I can't wait to hear it.